Hey everyone, welcome to City Church OTR's Sermons Podcast. Here you will find all of the sermons and teachings that are given at our Sunday services. We also have our original City Church OTR podcast, which has more conversations, interviews, and more interactive content. As always, we would love to meet you. Check out our Instagram to see what we're doing this week and our website, citychurchotr.com, to meet one of our pastors. Enjoy. Good morning. How's everyone doing this morning? Thank you, Lena. Oh, not well. Okay. (laughs) That's good to know going into this. Uh, My name is Chris. I am one of the pastors here. And uh, if you're wondering how I got so tan, I, because I know you all were, I played three hours of beach volleyball yesterday. It was awesome. Uh, Beach volleyball is one of my favorite activities. And I got to play for three hours. And the crazy thing is I went 7-0. and It was awesome. Um, oh, wait, no, I misread my notes. I, I went 0-7. Yeah. I uh, somehow, as one of the more competitive people that I know, I went 0-7. And arrogance in the pulpit should never be mixed. And so I want to thank everyone that had a hand in that. Um, I'm coming in super humble today. If you can say you're super humble, I don't know if you still can be. Um, but coming in very humble and ready to tell you guys a crazy story. Uh, road trips have had a huge impact on my life. It's how we found this city to uh, figure out that we were going to actually start a church here. And uh, about uh, seven or probably eight or nine years ago, uh, it was right after college, I went on a road trip with some friends. Uh, we were just right out of college. It was spring break. We weren't ready to adult yet. And so we did a uh, road trip, mission trip around the country. And we lived in a van for a week. We have a picture of that van. We lived in that van for a week. And let me tell you, you have not lived until you've lived in a van for a week with six other like 22-year-old men. Um, And you know Josh, who was leading worship here. He was a part of that trip. And Josh, uh, you haven't lived until you've heard some of Josh's ideas at 2 a.m. in the middle of New Mexico after being hopped up on Dr. Pepper. Uh, Just a little bit about one of the guys that helps this church run. And uh, so we we planned this crazy road trip. Uh, There's a, I think we have a picture actually of us in the van. You might recognize some other faces, but there's us like in the van. And we drove around the country um, and we started in Bloomington, Indiana, go Hoosiers, Went to Dallas, Grand Canyon, we ended up in Denver, Kansas City, and we all had like a city to plan, and my job was to plan Las Vegas. It was about 60 hours of driving, and about 10 minutes in, we realized one of the guys forgot like $500 of McDonald's gift cards, so 10 minutes into our 60-hour drive, we had to turn around because somebody forgot the gift cards. And anyway, we start driving around the country. I'm in charge of planning Las Vegas because I knew the most about the the casitas, Uh, and thought I could maybe find a place for us to stay there. So I'm planning Las Vegas. I call this church, and they pass me along to another church and another church. And finally, I get a hold of a uh, small church there. They were brand new. This guy, Sam, answers the phone, and he's like, yeah, we'd love to have you guys come out. We're doing a Bible study tonight at UNLV. And so we're like, oh, we love the Bible, and we love college. Like, of course we'll be there. So we go to um, what I'll now refer to as, like, a Bible study because it was not a Bible study. Uh, It was like a crazy worship and prayer night with the presence of God there. And we walked in, uh, seven of us, you know, well-educated, well-trained, well-behaved men, and we walked in, and we immediately felt like something was different. And I looked over to my right, 
and there was a girl, it's like eight years ago, a girl with most of her head shaved except for just a ponytail down the middle, and then I look to my left, and there's a guy with one arm, and on his other arm, he has the Green Lantern tattooed. And then I look, and I'm talking to this one guy, and he just got his master's in theology. And then I look at the guy that's about to lead this discussion, and he's just covered in tattoos and piercings, and he has, like, bleach blonde hair. And immediately before the, the thing ever started, we knew that we were somewhere different. And once it started, it became very apparent that this is very different because they started praying all out loud all at the same time, and they were praying and worshiping, and they were praying for revival in Las Vegas. And one of the craziest things about it was that it seemed like they actually believed it. It was one of the most shocking things about being in that room, is they were praying for revival, these people in upper teens, low 20s, and it seemed like they were actually crazy enough that they believed that it might happen. And, and so we were intrigued to say the least. And so after that, we were both hungry for more of God and just hungry. So we went to In-N-Out and we started to, uh, it's where most revivals started. <laughs> Not true. We started to just hear stories of, um, I'm talking to the guy who led it and I find out, oh, the tattooed man, he's the pastor's son. And he starts telling a story of like, yeah, last week I almost got stabbed by this guy, but I led him to the Lord. And I was like, oh yeah, cool. Same. Me too. Uh, and he's like, and these gangs are coming to know Jesus. And also, uh, this guy, Jeremiah, you know, he was homeless four weeks ago, but now, and he was addicted to a few different drugs, and now he has this apartment, and he's starting to fill it up with other homeless people, but he needs a bigger apartment because too many clothing donations are coming in. And I'm listening to the stories, and I was so struck by something I'd never experienced before. And the weirdest thing, the craziest thing about this whole night wasn't the stories that I heard, but I'm listening to Tattoo Man and Shaved Head Girl and God has a master's in theology, and it seemed like they all liked each other. That was the craziest part. And here we have seven 21 to 23-year-old educated white males, and we don't even like each other half the time we're in that van. And I'm watching this crowd, and they all seemed to enjoy each other. And I'm listening to the stories, and it's the stories I felt like I'd heard when I heard people come off the mission field. It sounded like they were missionaries, but it felt like they were family. It was the strangest thing. And, uh, and I didn't invent the phrase, but I've certainly championed it in bringing it here, this idea of family on mission. And it's the first time I felt like I got to experience what a family on mission looks like. Um, and fast forward, I get home, I tell my fiance, like, hey, I've got to like be there. We need to get there. And so we get married and end up moving there for a little over four years and, and got to witness what it was like to live as a family on mission and have brought uh, at least a vision and hopefully that DNA as we've started this church together for what a family on mission could look like here. But at that in and out, something, because I, you know, I was raised in the church, something happened that was different. I had read Acts 2, 42 to 47 25, 30, 35 times. And I'd always thought that Acts 2, 42 to 47, and if you've read it, you know what I'm talking about. I'd always thought that was a passage about the early church. But when I sat at in and out I realized that's not a passage about the early church. That's a passage about the church. It's a description of what the church started as and could be and should be. And it was the first time I realized, oh, this isn't just describing what's going on in Jerusalem in AD 30. It's also happening in 2013 in Las Vegas. And it was the first time I realized that actually the church could start to look 
like that. And, uh, and so as I was preparing this week, we're going through um, a series through the book of Acts very slowly. Uh, Tyler and I really felt like this is where we want to go. We want to talk about the early beginnings. And, uh, and I had two weeks ago on Acts 2, uh, 1 through 41, and I talked about the church. And some weeks the, the sermons just flow and you're just in your zone. Not this week for me. Uh, the only thing, Monday through Thursday, I felt like I was supposed to talk about was the church. And Friday I had to frantically actually write it, um, which again is never the goal for me. But the Monday through Thursday, all I heard was talk about the church. And that sounded so lame because two weeks ago I just talked about the church. And uh, so we're going to talk about the church this morning. And uh, we're going to talk about this institution that Jesus started. And I want to start um, by acknowledging the elephant in the room is that the church has hurt a lot of people. Like the church is very good at hurting people. And there's probably people in this room that have been hurt by the church. And massive mistakes have been made. And usually it's actually not just by the church, but church leaders, pastors, priests. Um, they have had affairs. They've stolen money. They have abused the power that was entrusted to them. And they've done things even worse than that. And uh, I'm not a spokesman for the church. I'm just a part of it. But on behalf of the church, I want to say I'm sorry. I'm really sorry. It wasn't supposed to be that way. It was never intended to uh, function like that. The church, the bride of Jesus, was never supposed to do those things. And uh, the thing I want to implore us to this morning is, um, is a beckoning back to the institution of the church. Would you consider giving the church a second chance? Uh, if you love this church, great. I think this is going to be encouraging. But it's not about this church. It's about the church. And, and I want to maybe just change, if I could, again, super humble, 0-7 yesterday. I want to just come in and say, would you consider the possibility that the church is a nameless and faceless institution, um, but it's the people, of course, in the church that have hurt people, and maybe it's the people in the church that have hurt you. And I want to encourage you in the same way that when someone possibly hurt you at your work, you didn't quit, and when your family has annoyed you, you didn't excommunicate them, and when a cashier has said something mean to you, you haven't stopped buying things. In all of those same ways, I want to ask you to consider is it still worth it to be a part of the thing that Jesus calls his bride? And I want to ask you to reconsider not just the joining the glory of what is the church, the most influential organization and institution that has ever existed on planet Earth, but I also want to ask if you would help reform it, not from the outside, but from the inside. And again, this is so much bigger than city church. It's so much bigger than what we have going on here. But um, after reading and praying and really struggling this week, I really felt like I wanted to ask if we could reconsider um, re-upping to the thing that Jesus calls his bride. And so Acts 2, 42 to 47, uh, it's this passage that talks about the early church. You've probably heard someone who has churched before say, don't you just wish that we could go back to the early church? And they always say it in this like high sorority voice. And, uh, and they're always talking about Acts 2. It's like they've never read Acts 6. They're talking about Acts 2. They're talking about what we're about to read right now, where things do seem perfect. And there seems to be some components in this church, uh, in this church that we're about to read, that I think we could actually 
bring into the church today. And so it says, Acts 2, 42 and 47, Luke, the writer of uh, Acts, writes, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need, and every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all people. And the Lord added to their number daily those that were being saved. And, uh, and usually when I've read this passage, I've noticed there's four things that are going on in Acts 2, 42. And I read it a little bit differently this week. And I saw actually there's almost 10 components. There's 10 actions. There's 10 activities that this first early church was going through. And, and so I want to just briefly go through those. I want to spend about five, seven minutes on each one of those and talk about what the early church looked like. It's so funny to see you all trying to do math. Like, oh, five to seven minutes. Ten, it's not going to be over an hour. I'm going to skip like half of them, honestly, uh, because they're coming up in future messages on the book of Acts. But I want to talk about all 10 of these that were a part of that church. And there is no equation to following Jesus. There's no equation to being a part of the church. But I want to see if we can gather some wisdom. And so the very first thing that Luke says they were doing, and I don't want to say that this is like the most important or not. We don't see that explicitly. But it says that they were devoted to, not the apostles, but to the apostles' teaching. They're devoted to the apostles' teaching. The people there wanted to know about the God that they were serving. Uh, You could call it theology. You can call it doctrine. You can call it right belief. But apparently... It mattered in the early church, and probably should still, it should still matter today, what you believe, and, and I think the goal in belief, in theology, whatever you want to call it, depending on how churchy and smart you want to sound, uh, the, the goal is guardrails, not railroads. You want to have these guardrails up that, like, we want to stay in between here. Look, Jesus is Lord, he raised from the dead, we think the Bible is this, we think that this is happening, you know, when he comes back. Those things are like, we got to stay in there, and it's fine if you get outside of those lines, it's just probably not Christian anymore. It starts to become this uh, religion that we kind of mix some Jesus with other things. And so the goal, again, is not like you have to believe exactly everything that I believe. But there are some guardrails that it seems like the early church was putting up and saying, no, 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 we've got to stay in here. And they were devoted to the apostles' teaching. Uh, One scholar said that anti-intellectualism and the spirit-filled life are uh, starkly incompatible. This idea of being spirit-filled and, and, you know, moving in our feelings and also moving in the spirit, you know, charismatic world, whatever, that doesn't go without this idea of knowing more about the God that we serve and caring about what we believe. And he says, no, 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 it's the spirit of truth. And so when he comes, Jesus' words, not mine, he's going to reveal all truth. And so uh, walking in the spirit and walking in truth mean we're on these guardrails of what the church should look like. I have a friend who, he now lives in Florida. He used to live in Las Vegas. And he's a great storyteller. I uh, actually asked him if he wanted to fly up from Florida to tell this two-minute story, but he didn't want to. Um, his name's Amari. I've talked about him before. But he tells this story about uh, he and his friends went to this revival meeting. And, guys, revival meetings are great. It's crazy. Like, everybody there expects God to show up, and therefore, like, he usually does. Um, he isn't hiding from his people. And so he's at this revival meeting. God's moving. It's amazing. He and his friends, and they're walking back to the car afterwards. And uh, they're walking through this field to get to uh, the parking lot. 
And this woman just, you know, comes up and she starts praying over them. She starts prophesying. And she starts, like, blessing uh, Amari and his friends. And he was, I mean, I asked him to send me a voice memo just to retell me the story. And he's like, we were just on the ground. We were ready to go. Like, God was moving already at the place. And so we just ended up laying on the ground as this woman just kind of starts to pray around us. And she's praying the favor of God fall on you and the, the presence of God. And I pray the peace and the shalom of Yahweh would fall. And I pray in the name of Jehovah Rafiki that uh, the peace of God would... And Amari was like, Jehovah Rafiki? And you heard me correctly. It's the witch doctor from Lion King. <laughs> this lady starts to pray in the name of Jehovah Rafiki that the peace of God would fall on Amari and his friends. And Amari, you know, he's just laying, he's having a great time, and he hears that, and he goes, he sits up, uh-uh, and he just walks away. <laughs> he says, I don't want any part of any woman praying Rafiki over me, this witch doctor from the Lion King mixed with a little bit of Jehovah. And the funny part is he turns around and he sees his friends, and they're just still there laying on the ground, receiving whatever this lady has to give. And if the church doesn't have the guardrails of right belief, if the church doesn't uh, care about not the apostles' teaching, but like the teaching of what Jesus had, you might end up getting prayed for by Jehovah Rafiki. You might also just end up believing a little bit of the wrong thing, or more than likely, you've had conversations with people where they start to talk, and you're like, ah, oh, man, that's, that's not right. I know that's not in the Bible. I mean, you've all had conversations like that where you're like, I'm pretty sure that that's not really Jesus. And, and sometimes it comes as obvious as Rafiki, but sometimes it comes as subtle as these little weird nuances that we mix in with our faith. And so the first thing that Luke says is that the church was devoted to the teaching of the apostles. And then it says they were devoted to uh, fellowship. If you were a part of a church in the 80s or 90s, you've definitely eaten a meal in a fellowship hall. Uh, we call it more like community or hanging out now, but they were devoted to the one another's, to hanging out with each other. And I love this church for so many reasons, but I love when I ask people like, hey, why are you sticking around here? I was just talking to someone after first service, you know, what do you like about here? And I usually hear Jesus, first of all, and may that always be the first one. But then I usually hear like, I mean, this is just an authentic church. And that's really cool to hear because we would so much rather be authentic than be amazing. But I hear that, uh, yeah, I like this place because it's authentic, and I like this place because of the community. It seems like um, you guys have like a really good thing going. It seems like the community is really strong here. And it was a mark of the early church. We want it to be a mark of city church that fellowship is a big part of what it looks like to be in the church. Then it says they were devoted to the breaking of bread. Uh, we're going to talk about this in a second, but it's that uh, the, the Lord's table, communion, um, it's the thing that Jesus did during the Last Supper. And then it says the early church was committed to prayer. The early church prayed so much. They were so devoted to prayer. And then it says, out of that, the apostles, they started to see signs and wonders. We can't talk about the early church without talking about the fact that it was a supernatural church. And we will talk about miracles next week. It says that they, were, uh, they had everything in common. There was this radical generosity that was going on. And I, I, I've seen some miracles, totally believe God to move. This is the one that trips me up. They were taking their most prized possessions, or at least their most valuable possessions, and they're just giving it to the church. They're giving it to anybody that had need. This is, imagine giving away your car or your house. This is radical. They, they loved the church so much 
that they were totally willing to give away their most valuable assets for the use of whoever needed them. It was crazy. Radical generosity was a part of that early church. Um, I would gladly, I mean, I, I can't wrap my mind around giving away a house. I would totally give away my mortgage. I mean, if anybody wants, come and talk to me. But they were giving away homes. Thank you. And then it says that they were uh, meeting daily. They daily were uh, hanging out with one another. And I put this in your notes. This, there was a frequency to the early church. And this seems crazy. It's the random, small interactions that were happening there and there and there. They were meeting together so often. And uh, one of the first times, this is going to sound funny, but it's true. One of the first times I knew that I wanted to be a part of this church, obviously I have to, but when I knew I wanted to was a couple weeks after we had started services in September, and I'm at my house group, and I'm listening, uh, I'm overhearing a conversation between uh, Stephanie Flynn, if you know her, and Samuel Greenhill, who's invited like half of our church here, and I'm listening to these two people talk, and they didn't know each other like more than three weeks before, and they're talking about this coffee meeting that's coming up on Thursday morning, and I started to freak out because I didn't know about a coffee meeting on Thursday morning. I didn't remember if the church had something then, and so I asked them because I didn't think I could make it. Uh, I was like, hey, what, sorry, what's going on on Thursday morning? I heard you guys talking. And they're like, oh, we, uh, we're just going to start getting coffee every Thursday and inviting anybody else that wants to. Actually, so-and-so's coming. If you want to come, you can. And it's one of the first, it wasn't programmed, it wasn't planned by Tyler, I didn't like have a hand in this, it was just something that happened because the church wanted to be around the church. And it was one of the first moments, again, I have to be here, it was one of the first moments that I'm like, oh, I really want to be here. I want to be a part of a church where stuff like that's happening. I want to be a part of a church where people are just wanting to hang out with one another. And there was a frequency that was driven. And I'm usually like the first person in our staff meeting um, to shoot down the idea of a new event. Uh, I, I don't know why, like church events just scare me or something. But I don't think it's necessarily church-driven events, but it is church-driven in terms of its relationship and its kingdom. The church shouldn't be programming everything that we're doing. We love the simplicity of two front doors, house groups, Sunday mornings, but there also could be and should be like, oh, Friday night I'm doing this, and then I heard Wednesday morning we're going to get together and do that. And you can hear, you can start to hear some of the pockets that are going around the church. And I love that it reflects that first church where it was meeting every day. There was something going on every day. We were in this house, we were in that house. There was a frequency to the early church. Then it says that they were breaking bread. They broke bread together. And this is different than the, the third thing that is listed. This is simply just eating together. They, the church, was eating together all the time. They were constantly having meals. Um, and you guys probably know this, but like God moves through food and around a table. Amen? He like, yeah, come on. He loves to move around a table. And there's something that happens when we like literally break bread or actually some scholars think that they were probably eating Tex-Mex. Um, <laughs> this scholar assumes it was burritos and quesadillas, and they were breaking bread together, and God started to move just because there was a meal, and there was fellowship, there was hanging out, there was this natural sharing of what each other had, and then it said they went around praising God, and this is both like formal and informal. They went around praising God. The early church was marked with regular and spontaneous worship of Jesus, and then at the very end, number 10, it says, after all of this, all these nine things were happening. They were meeting together and doing this and teaching. And, and it said, uh, the Lord was adding to their number 
every day, those that were being saved. Guys, the gospel is a huge part of the church. Salvation, like people going from death to life, is a huge part of at least the early church and should continue to be a huge part of this church. Where people cross from this way to that way. And it says there, was, there must have been something so attractive about the way they were living and about the news that they carried that people said, no, I've got to be a part of that. I need to be a part of what is going on there. And it says that they were being added to their number daily. And guys, without the gospel, I just want to say this, without the gospel, the church is still pretty awesome. It's really cool, but it's just a social club. At the best, I mean, at the best, we're like a, a well-functioning social club. We're the Rotary Club. We're the Girl Scouts with worse cookies. I don't, I mean, but without the gospel, we're not the church. It's still okay. It's still great. There's still good community. But without the gospel, the life-changing gospel of the message of Jesus, we aren't the most influential, powerful organization on the face of the planet. We are just a social club. And it says that they were seeing people go from death to life because the gospel was not just being preached up here, but also out there. And these are the components of the first church. This is what the first church was going through. These are the things that were happening. And again, there is no equation to following Jesus. Believe me, I wish there was. Like, love that kind of stuff. But have quickly learned there is no equation. You can't copy and paste. Like, they did this, so we'll do it exactly that way. But it does seem like the early church was both healthy and had these things to do with it. And it seemed like this first family on mission was this great, wonderful tension combination of pushing and pulling, receiving and giving, being and moving. It was a living, breathing organism, organism that was changing the face of a city. But it doesn't have to just be Jerusalem in 30 AD. It could be Las Vegas in 2013. It could be, crazy, Cincinnati in 2021. The church was changing the face of a city. And the church continues to change the world. And again, it has so many flaws, and it's had moments of greatness and moments of not-so-greatness, but I promise you will not find an institution or an organization that has done more for advocacy, poverty, clean water, education, medical, justice. There is no church, or there is no other organization that is the quickest to respond to a natural disaster. The church is unbelievable. The church has the potential to be the most life-giving organization ever. And the invitation is not to um, just criticize it from the outside, but hey, come help us reform it from the inside. I wonder what would happen if we could bring the best parts of this Acts 2 and the best parts of what we've learned since then. How do we create the most life-giving organization of all time? Because the church is at its best not when it's come and watch, but when it's come and join. The church is not a spectator sport. Um, I know like, it seems like Sunday mornings, there's just a few people that are contributing. That's why we're not all about Sunday mornings here. We really, truly believe the church is at its best when we're all mobilized to change a city. And we still believe Sunday mornings are great. I mean, good luck going to a house group and getting this kind of worship. You're just not going to. There's certain things that we can only do here. But the church is at its best, not when it's just come and watch, but also come and join. And that means that we all, Followers of Jesus, people that would ascribe to this gospel, we all are a part of it, and we are now sent on mission. And this is the family that Jesus has introduced. It's the family that Jesus introduced. It's a family that cares about what we believe. It's a family that watches what we teach, but also has fellowship, that prays together, that takes the Lord's table together. It's a family that sees miracles and is radically generous. It's a family that meets often, eats often, worships often. 
It's a family that sees people cross from death into life. It's a family that invites people into being, not just into watching. And um, I, I might be biased. I probably am biased. But don't you want to be a part of that? And, and I might be projecting my dreams onto yours. But isn't this like the kind of community you've always dreamt about? Isn't this the kind of thing that you've always thought would be amazing, but you didn't know if it was possible? I mean, as I'm reading this, isn't this the kind of community that we've longed for? That we've always thought could be possible? And we've had maybe glimpses of it when you were in college, or maybe you had a good friend group at your workplace. Isn't this the kind of community that we deeply, deeply want from the bottom of our souls? And here's the thing, uh, the church, or more so the people in the church, will hurt you. Um, they will. If you, and, and it's not just like those churches, it's, it's probably going to be this church too. You stick around here long enough, somebody will say something to you that you will disagree with. Could be me, might be Tyler, possibly Catherine, probably not though. <laughs> there will be somebody here that disagrees with you. There will be somebody here that rubs you the wrong way. There will be something that you hear that you're like, no, that's not for me. That is wrong. That rubs me the wrong way. And there will be a temptation to get bitter. Fight that temptation. Let the invitation to world change and the invitation into family be stronger than the temptation to fall into bitterness. Bitterness is like drinking poison and hoping somebody else dies. It's this temptation that we feel when we are rubbed the wrong way. And the immediate response for almost everybody in the world is to flee. But the response that Jesus is asking for is, would you still stay? Would you be a part of it? Would you take part in the glory of what it's doing? Would you help reform it from the inside? Would you help us see the change that it needs to be? But would you do it from the inside, not by casting stones, but by, but by creating change? It's the kind of community that I've always dreamed of. I hope that if somebody comes here and uh, for whatever reason they can only write six verses about City Church, I hope that it looks really similar to what we just read. I hope they have the similar experience to what Luke had as he was studying that first church. There was an early church historian, his name was Tertullian. He was around about 150 years uh, after Jesus was resurrected. And uh, he's a reason that we know so much about the early church. He's a great historian, wrote a lot. And, uh, and he was writing about the early church, and he was writing to Rome at this one point. And he's writing to Rome, because Rome was not big fans of the church. And he's writing to them, he's like, guys, you've got to stop persecuting them. He said, these are the kind of people you want in your church. And he said this, he said, look at how they love one another. And he compared it to the outside world. He said, the pagans, the people that aren't a part of this, they hate one another. He said, look at these Christians, look how they're willing to die for each other. For everyone outside is ready to kill one another. And he's writing to the leadership of Rome. And he says, guys, these are the people you actually want in your kingdom. He said, these are the people that you should be begging to stay in the middle of Rome or in these other cities. These are the people that are going to be the betterment of your empire. And he's writing and he's advocating because the Christians were doing something in the cities that the rest of the world was not. I remember... Uh, it's probably like four or five years ago before we had a church name or a team or anything else. Um, Tyler, Catherine, and I, we went to Kansas City to be like grilled uh, in church planting assessment. 
Um, the way Tyler describes it is it's like a bad reality TV show with a bunch of Christians where they just throw challenge after challenge and they're asking you ridiculous questions and at 10 p.m. they give you like a task to do by 8 a.m. the next morning. And we're there and one of the questions they asked us, they said, okay, uh, we want to know what's your church, what's a goal of your church? What's a win in five years? And, and I think it was possible they were looking for like attendance numbers or Kids City, I don't know. But one of the things that we wrote and this is still true, is five years into City Church, we didn't call it that because we didn't know what it was, but five years into our church, we would love for the city of Cincinnati to be sad if we left. We said, and, and we didn't say we'd like the Christians to be sad. We said we'd love the city of Cincinnati, the, the people that are Catholic and atheist and Buddhist and Christian, we'd love for them to be sad. In five years, if we just chose to go to a different city, we want the city of Cincinnati to mourn us leaving. It's the way that the church can, should, and I think often is. I don't think we know how much we would miss the church until they left our city, and we want to be a part of that. Uh, one of the things that Luke recorded, and I mentioned it, he said that they were devoted, the early church was devoted to the breaking of the bread. And uh, we call it uh, the Lord's table here. It's what it's called in Scripture. You might know it as communion, uh, the Eucharist, Mass, but we, uh, we want to be committed to the same thing that the early church was committed to. And um, I invited a guy to church once, and uh, we, we did this, we took this. And at the end of the service, he's like, hey, what was the deal with that snack? And uh, you know what? That's not on him. That's on us for not explaining it. And so every now and then, we want to take a moment and explain one of the two church ordinances that Jesus left us. Uh, one's baptism, the other is what we call the Lord's table. And a bit about it, it's in our statement of faith. Uh, we have convictions and we have essentials. And so uh, you can read that on our website. But we talk about what we believe uh, in the Lord's table. And it's a conviction of ours. If you believe differently, that's okay. But it's going to shape the preaching and practice that we have here. And, uh, and you might have something different. If you grew up in a different kind of church, you're probably going to experience this differently. Uh, we want to talk about it. We really do. If you have questions, please talk to me. If you have angry questions, please talk to Tyler. He'd love to field those for you. <laughs> um, but Jesus, the reason we think this is such a big deal is Jesus established this uh, on the night that he was betrayed. It was at the Last Supper. He gathered his disciples around, and he instituted um, this church ordinance. And we believe that it is a symbolic ceremony remembering his death and remembering the forgiveness of our sins. And uh, later on, a guy named Paul in 1 Corinthians, he wrote, when you do this, a man ought to examine himself before he eats of the bread and drinks of the cup. And talks about, and we believe that every, every time that we do this, there's an opportunity for life change. There's a real opportunity for life change. It's an opportunity to get real with God, to take the mask that you've been wearing off, uh, figuratively, of course, and to get real with who Jesus is. And say, look, I'm not happy about what's going on. I want to mourn this. I want to celebrate that. I want to worship this. And then above everything else, I want to remember your death. And it says, uh, and we always have these available. They're usually in the back. They are always in the back. Um, and usually we just let people take them as they want during worship at the end. Uh, we see that it should be something that we think uh, happens every week. Uh, it says as often as you gather or when you come together uh, to drink, uh, it says that it seems like this could be there, but there's a few moments uh, this church wants to celebrate it together as a family, and we're going to do that this morning. And, uh, and the last thing that we know about, or we, we believe about the Lord's table, 
is uh, Jesus instituted it for his followers. And it's something that the church gets to do, the, the followers of Jesus get to do to remember his death. And, uh, and if you would not describe yourself as a follower of Jesus, um, there, there's no shame in that. And also, no one's taking attendance. No one's looking around. I would encourage you, actually, don't take this. Um, this is something that we do to remember and, and remind ourselves of our allegiance to his death and resurrection. Uh, and it's something that the church does uh, both to remember and to unite. It's something that not City Church does, not even the Church of Cincinnati. This is something that's happening all over the world that's reminding us that we're a part of something bigger, and it's reminding us that Jesus died and he gave a sacrifice so that we could truly live. And so go ahead and take this. Uh, if you got one coming in, you should have. If you didn't, they're in the back. Maybe raise your hand. But uh, I want you to uh, take off this top layer, and then there's a second layer. And I'm going to walk us through this in a second. And I'm going to be in Luke uh, 22. Luke records that when the hour came, Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table. And he said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. And he took the bread, and he gave thanks, and he broke it. And he gave it to them, saying, This is my body given for you. Do this. In remembrance of me. So let's take the bread in remembrance of Jesus' body being broken. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. Jesus poured out his blood for us. Let's take this juice that represents his blood and remember the sacrifice that he gave for us. Paul says every time that we take this bread and drink this cup, we proclaim the Lord's uh, death, and we eagerly await him coming back. And I have good news this morning. It's not breaking news, but it's good news. He is coming back. He's coming back, and we get to eagerly await that. It's part of the thing that the church gets to do. And we get to celebrate the promise that he is coming. And here's what I'd love to do. We're going to have a moment uh, of worship. It says that the very first um, time that Jesus did this, they sang a hymn right afterwards, and we want to do the same. Uh, but I want to ask you, um, and I'd love to implore you, whether you've been doing this for 20 years or two weeks, I'd love for you to recommit to Jesus. And maybe you need to commit for the first time. But I'd love for you to recommit to the power of Jesus, his death, burial, and resurrection, and recommit to the gospel, the, the news that has changed your life and set you free and given you the fullness of life. And then I want to be so bold and ask you, would you consider, especially if you've been hurt, would you consider recommitting to the church, the bride of Christ, the one that he says that he loved? Would you consider recommitting not only to him, but to the institution that he created. So let's take um, a moment now, and there's going to be a couple people uh, in these two corners. We'd love to pray for you. Don't leave with the same burden that you came in with. Uh, but we're going to take a moment to worship, to remember Jesus, to glorify who he is, but also to take a moment and pray. And if you want prayer, we would love, love, love to pray for you. But let's celebrate the fact that Jesus not only is dead, but he has risen to life. 
and he's conquered uh, the thing that was holding us down.